Hello, everyone. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Okay, I see nods. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, um, we're going to read from uh, John 11 today, uh, verses 28 to 37. Yes, okay. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with, Martha, with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they re replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we have together with each other and with you. We pray, Holy Spirit, come soften our hearts to hear your voice. Amen. Some of us come from traditions that are used to marking the Lent season and others of us maybe don't. But today is actually the first Sunday of Lent, um, the 40 days journey towards Easter Sunday. And uh, it's a time when many Christians um, used to kind of peel away the layers of everyday life and create more space and time in our calendars for silence and prayer, for living simpler and more generously toward the people around us. Keeping Lent kind of prepares us to receive the joy of Easter Sunday all the more. Um, the passage that we just read, it kind of starts in the middle of a scenario and it ends before it's over. Because as, I, as we may know, the, um, it ends with Jesus actually raising Lazarus from the dead. But we stopped before that. And I remember as a kid, I enjoyed reading the Bible. I think I just liked the stories. Um, but. Uh, and I used to kind of just randomly flip open my Bible and start reading from there. Um, but then if I accidentally flipped open the Easter story, it always became a very long session because I couldn't bear to stop in the middle of the suffering of Jesus on the cross. I had to read through the resurrection to kind of, okay, it ends well. <laughs> um, and I think... That's kind of, I think, Lent season and the Easter story kind of challenges us to, to try and, and dare stay in that suffering for just a little bit, although we 
who live at this point in history, we know that the resurrection is coming and we know Jesus will rise. But if we just rush past the suffering of Good Friday and Jesus on the cross, we might miss something very important that the Spirit has to tell us. We also read what is famously known as the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And as well as with Good Friday, I think we do well not to rush past it, even though it's short. Because what does it tell us that we believe in a God who weeps? As far as I know, he is the only one. There is a a concept that some of you may have heard of, um, which describes God as the unmoved mover, the one who kind of made the world's first move. Um, creating the universe and everything in it, and who himself is not able to be moved or touched. He's kind of outside. And this idea stems from the Greek philosopher Aristotle, and while part of it may sound familiar to us as Christians, this doesn't describe the God of the Bible. Because our God, who reveals himself in Jesus Christ, is most definitely moved by his creation even to the point that he chooses freely to give his creation the ability to move him and influence even his actions, such as Abraham on his haggling with God over Sodom or interceding, as it's more commonly known, asking God to spare the city should he find only 50, 40, 30, or only 10 righteous people there. And God listens And he accepts Abraham's request. God has also given us the ability to be moved by each other. That's actually quite a remarkable thing. And he has given us this because it reflects who he is. And we are images of the living God. Our capacities for good mirror his. And uh, our God is not a lonely, stoic, impersonal God that Aristotle describes, too remote or aloof, to even be engaged in his creation. On the contrary, God has revealed to us in the Bible and in Christ that he is relational and compassionate in his very being. And being compassionate compassionate without the presence of another is simply not possible. It requires that there is a relation. Um, And uh, God has been that way even from eternity. So that was even before he created us and created the world. That is because God is a Trinitarian God, three in one, who in himself is community and fellowship. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, and the Holy Spirit being in some mystical way the personification of this ever-flowing love between the persons of the Godhead. Always, maybe you can get up the photo. All three persons of the Trinity are constantly facing each other, directed towards the other in self-giving love. But it is not a circle that is closed, it is a circle that is open and inviting of generously self-giving love 
that the whole creation flows out of and which creates and upholds life. And we, as humans, are invited to take part in this generous community with the Trinity and with each other. That we have a God who weeps with us, that says so much. And it's what makes him so different from all other gods. But he doesn't weep because he feels helpless or powerless or inadequate, as we often do. Jesus weeps, I think maybe for several reasons, but one, because he's so close to us that he feels our pain. Not just that he sees it, but he feels it. Because he is a compassionate God, and that's the true meaning of the word compassion, suffering with, alongside. God always knew about our joy and our pain, but only by being born and living in a human body did he actually experience it. And God didn't just put on a human shell, um, uh, but he, he became fully human to the core, even to his emotions, um, while still remaining fully and truly God. So not 50-50, but 100-100. That's the heavenly mathematics. Jesus was uh, not spared for the human emotions as he went through life, even to the point of suffering to death. And this means that there is actually no place uh, that we can go that Christ has not already been, neither in death nor in life. And there is no desperate why that a person can utter that has not already been prayed by Jesus on the cross. In the same way that Jesus suffered with Mary and Martha in their grief, he suffers with us in our darkest hour. Um, as the psalmist says, even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. Some people will say that they are fascinated, fascinated by the person of Jesus and they like some parts of the Bible, what they find in the gospel, but they're not really interested in becoming part of a church or like a religious community. And I think some of us may also have felt that way from time to time because it just makes everything more complicated because you have to actually relate to other people that think and feel and look differently than you. Um, so community is hard, but it's also essential to the life of a Christian. Because we realize that we believe in a God who chose freely to leave the courts of heaven to be born in a dirty barn so that he may be close to us. The creator became part of his own creation in order to make his word more accessible to us and speak to us in ways that we would be able to perceive and receive more easily. And Jesus' life models a dynamic of community and retreat. Community and retreat. How often do we not end up living our lives in the middle ground? Neither nor, neither prayerfully seeking God in the silence, nor being fully present to the people around us. 
Eugene Peterson says that one of the immediate changes that the gospel makes is grammatical. We instead of I. Our instead of my. Us instead of me. And a person that made this discovery was uh, Oxford professor C.S. Lewis. He says, I thought that I could do it in my own when he became a Christian by retiring to my room and reading theology. Eventually, he reluctantly joined a church and this is what he discovered. I came up against very different people of quite different outlooks and different education and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. God sometimes speaks to us in miraculous ways, but most often he speaks to us through his creation, through the people and the places of our everyday. And maybe that's also quite a miracle. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood, as one translation of John 1.14 puts it. If we are longing to hear God's voice, I think the biggest challenge for us in our society today is not to be chasing harder, doing more, filling our calendars with more stuff, but rather daring to stop and let the mud in our glasses fall <laughs> so that we can see clearly and actually be present to the people and the world around us. And this is hard because there is so much competing for our attention and our devotion. Daydreams, nostalgia, demands, worries, screens, you name it. But I wonder what will happen if we practice being present and attentive where we are. Not just passing through but actually taking notice pausing long enough and being open to let God speak to us through his creation. The one who has created everything can surely use whoever and whatever he wills as a means for communication. And God has a special way of using community. As we saw in C.S. Lewis's quote, it wasn't until he began singing those old psalms with people of a different outlook and education than him, that his heart was softened to hear. And do you remember the story from the Bible of the, the couple on the road to Emmaus? The resurrected Jesus walking beside them, alongside them, without them recognizing him before long after when he broke the bread in their home late in the evening. It wasn't until they allowed a stranger to interrupt their private conversation that God's word broke into their lives. So being in community with people that are different from us, that can be challenging and it's often tempting to keep people at an arm's distance. But that's not the life that Christ models for us. 
Remaining open in heart and open in spirit toward our neighbor, despite our differences, is always the way of the Trinitarian God. When we become numb to other people's suffering and not letting it move us to action, we stop that flow of the divine love through our lives and we miss out on the whisper of the Holy Spirit. As Paul encourages us also in the letter of the Romans to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, that's not always because you are so feel that same happiness in your life or you don't want to be sad, <laughs> but because we are in community and we are one body. So doing this is following the example of Christ. Jesus, uh, in the Bible text that we read, he wept with deep compassion and empathy for the hurting and the grieving. He comes alongside us in our sorrows. He doesn't just sit there and look at us as we sit in anguish, but he feels with us. And Lent and Easter is a time that we can be reminded of this God who suffers with us, bleeds with us, cries with us, and hopes with us. So when we have the courage, devotion, and attention to step into another person's joy or pain long enough to make it seep into our own being and become a part of us, I think only then are we truly imitating Christ. So, in the text that we read, we also read about Jesus that he was, so he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, it says. Another translation has a deep anger welled up in him. And I was puzzled reading that because the compassionate God, yeah, I can, that's, that's fine, but the angry God, why was he angry? People were grieving. Isn't that a kind of a mismatch of a response? Those reactions sound so different, but it's obvious that translators are struggling to find a good English word. So as a, as a good Christian, I looked up the original text, um, and uh, we all know our Greek. <laughs> anyway, the word here, I'm going to pronounce it, although Andre didn't pronounce the <laughs> name. So the Greek word used is embrimaomai. And that does describe a form of sorrow, I learned. But it's not like this uh, touching sympathy. It also uh, implies anger and indignation. Lazarus had died and his family were grieving. So why was Jesus angry? I think that as Jesus came to the place of Lazarus' death, Lazarus' grave, he was confronted with the devastating effects that sin and death has on his beautiful world. And Mary says, Lord, if you had not if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She falls before Jesus and this is what it says. And of course for Jesus, it made no difference if Lazarus was sick or already dead. He could still heal, as he certainly did. But the grief and sorrow blinded Mary's eyes, blinded her hope. 
So Jesus' anger wasn't directed towards Mary or Martha and the grieving. For them, he had nothing but compassion. But his anger was with what the devil had been able to do with the situation, causing pain and hopelessness to his beloved. The life giver encountering the destruction of sin and death. Everything that goes against the Father's will, of course that will upset the one who only wants to do the will of the Father. Sickness, chaos, death are always contrary to the way of Christ from whom life, peace, and justice flows. But how often do we not let our shame and our sin lead us to hide from God? Just as Adam in the garden, thinking that God is angry with us. But God is full of grace and compassion. This is who he is. And he never tires of forgiving. His righteous anger burns towards everything that leads us away from life away from peace and healing and all the good things. So, to round off, Lent season offers us an invitation to slow down, to live simpler, give up some things just for a time, things that may be good, like types of food or um, things you spend your time on but it makes us become more aware of what in our life is merely clutter and noise. It's kind of a spring clean for the soul. And as we peel away those layers, I think we may come in closer contact with Christ who lives in us and our hearts soften to his voice, to the Christ of his creation. So let us pray that we, on this 40-day journey toward Easter morning, may not rush past the cross, but have the courage to stay and take in the effects of sin in our own lives as well as the pain and suffering of our city and the people around us that we are given to be a friend to. May we dare stay in it long enough so that we are, as Jesus, deeply moved in spirit and troubled so that we may hear the voice of God and pray and act alongside the Holy Spirit for the healing and the restoration of the world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord, serve the world and serve each other.